Good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. For those of you that are tuning in, uh, we're coming live to you this morning, Zoomed from Fairhope, from my office, and from Jeff's Control Center. Guys, we continue in this mini-series of uh, Christmas in the wilderness. <laughs> Phil has a strange kind, sense of humor. It's kind of like Forrest Gump, Joe. You know, shrimp. Uh, yeah. You can eat shrimp all kinds of different ways. We can do this wilderness thing all kinds of different ways. Run, Phil, run in the cul-de-sac. <laughs> run, run. <laughs> oh, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm tickled to be here this morning. Glad that you're joining in. Uh, for those of you that may be joining later uh, via the, the recorded message, welcome. Guys, I want to touch right quick on something Phil just made me aware of before we started. Uh Walter Williford, is that Walter. Right? Walter Walford, yeah, uh, has contracted COVID and has been in the hospital. Uh, he is doing better, but he is one of ours uh, who uh, has struggled with this coronavirus. So we have to be mindful of it. I mean, we're not doing these Zoom meetings because it's convenient. We're doing them because it's something that's necessary. Uh, we'll continue doing this. Um, I know we've had some some ideas and some guys have thought about maybe if there was another place we could meet. But guys, we're going to continue doing what we're doing until uh, it is safe for us to go back to ceasefire. So until then, continue zooming in with us. Guys, last week when we started this uh, series, Christmas in the Wilderness, uh, I touched on home. Just asking, where's home for you? And I'd like to continue that theme again today. Home. When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery and Egypt into the wilderness and they traveled, many of them wanted to go back to slavery. Many of them saw that as an easier life than being in the wilderness. I know for me, I was challenged earlier this week, um, as can sometimes happen in holiday seasons. Uh, we get a little bit testy and uh, had a very difficult conversation personal conversation and I felt like I was being attacked and it hurt and it caused me to want to react in a way that would have been inappropriate. Thankful uh, I was aware of that and chose to do differently. So I ask you this morning, where's home? What are you searching for? We all want to return home. Is home in bondage and slavery? or his home in the freedom that was purchased on our behalf by our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the holiday season. It's his birth that we celebrate. Let's don't lose sight of that. Let me open this with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here today. We thank you for the technology. We thank you for Jeff and Jeff and helping get this produced and for Chris providing the handout each week. Lord, we thank you for Phil and the preparedness that he does in bringing this message weekly, consistently. Bless those of us that are here and those that will listen to this message later in the recorded version. Be with each family, with each man represented. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. 
And Jeff, I can't see you. That's uh, fine. So You're good. You're good. Okay, I'm good. All right, very okay. good. Gentlemen, good morning. It is a uh, absolutely gorgeous morning uh, in Fairhope, Alabama, and I'm glad that you're tuned in and hopefully in a warm place. I'm in a warm place uh, by the fire and uh, glad that we can um, sit together. Um, I have a song for you this morning, but before I play the song, uh, I want to draw your attention to um, the logo uh, on your handout. If you took the time to um, um, uh, print the logo and uh, Jeff, if, if you're able to throw that uh, uh, picture up, the uh, painting, I love finding uh, uh, art um, that um, um, uh, is um, illustrative of what we're going through. And, and this um, piece of art that is the logo for our, uh, today's handout is really a um, mural that um, was painted uh, um, between 1480 and 1482. It was a long time ago. Um, and um, it's actually in the Sistine Chapel uh, in Rome. Um, and it's a mural uh, that illustrates the temptation of Jesus and also compares uh, Jesus' life to Moses' life. Uh, so there's a lot of detail there. You can Google that and look it up on uh Wikipedia, but uh, I think it's just a fun piece of uh, art um, to um, be able to just illustrate, again, what we're talking about this morning in the temptation of Jesus. So just for your reference. Again, today, what we're looking at, um, Jesus in the wilderness, uh, Christmas in the wilderness. Uh, last week, we looked at the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. That's the typical uh, story that we, uh, of course, celebrate. Uh, Jesus came um, uh, and tabernacled uh, with us. Um, and today, kind of continuing in the life of Jesus, I wanted to go through um, the wilderness, literally the wilderness experience of Jesus, Jesus being tested in the wilderness. I mean, how could we spend, uh, Joe, uh, I mean, how could we spend a year uh, in this series on the wilderness? We started in January and not cover this passage of Scripture. That, that would be silly. I mean, it is the ultimate wilderness experience of Jesus being there. And um, I have a song uh, that is so powerful. I, I just stumbled onto this by Matt Maurer. I love Matt Maurer. And he has a song entitled 40 Days. Let me just read just a, a, a small portion of the song to you. Forty days to wander, forty days to die to self, forty days to grow stronger as faith breaks open the gates of hell. The jubilee is over, but grace is far from gone. In the hearts of the faithful, broken on the wheels of love. Cause in the desert of temptation lies the storm of true conversion, where springs of living water drown and refresh you. And as the Jordan pours out change, your true self is all that remains, where springs of living water bind and break you, bind and break you, and it continues. So may you hear the voice of God through Matt Myers, 40 Days. 
Hey, Phil, 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 you need to unmute. How about that? We got Perfect. that? Perfect. Okay. All right. Be on the alert. 
Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Christmas in the wilderness. Uh, 2020, the year of the pandemic. Seeing Jesus in this season, season of Christmas, season of the pandemic. Follow with me as I read um, this updated um, and uh, relevant to today's topic introduction. Jesus wilderness tests offers important lessons. Jesus tests offer something good that Satan uh, proposes and can be attained in an easy way. And that's part of the problem. That is how external tests entice us. Our temptations can be external or internal. We're running late, so we're tempted to break traffic laws. We need to make a sale, so we exaggerate a product's benefits. But unlike Jesus, we also face internal tests from bad habits, patterns of sin that make us more susceptible to sin. Jesus shows us how to resist temptation. Swiftly, immediately rejecting it and drawing on God's word to do so. God always makes a way. Above all, Jesus tests assure us that he understands our weakness and temptation. He genuinely faced temptation. It appealed to him, and he turned it down. We, as the redeemed, can do the same. So my hope is, as we go through this uh, this morning, that you will be better equipped uh, to handle each day, um, each day during this Christmas season, each day of your life. So let's go to work. Uh, I have three questions. Let's do some journaling this morning. Put pen to paper, and I would invite you to respond to these three questions. And they're actually the same three questions that I asked you last week, and I simply just want you to uh, respond freshly today. How will you celebrate Christmas this year? How are you celebrating uh, Christmas this year? What, what are you doing to be better prepared and more in tune um, to the reason for the season rather than just going along with the culture? How are you doing that? I, um, on, on my... Um, uh, office bookshelf. I have numerous uh, books that I've collected, and 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 in our in um, kind of in the attic, uh, we have books that we have read to the girls through the years that I've collected. And uh, I'll do some reading to the girls. I'll read things uh, uh, at Christmas that I read to them when they were little ones. Uh, Steele's uh, uh, kids' age uh, when they were uh, five and three and. Um, six and uh, four and all that. Um, but the book that I'm, that I'm using right now that's kind of helping me to be in tune, uh, that I'm loving, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, devotional book um, of Advent. Uh, and the title of it is God is in the Manger, Reflections on Advent and Christmas. And one of the unique things about um, this book is that, of course, he writes a kind of a daily devotional, um, and um, 
you know, we all know that uh, only two or three weeks away, I think it was two weeks away from the end of World War II, he was in a prison camp and Hitler ordered all of the political dissidents um, killed. And he was only two weeks away from being free and he was killed. And one of the uh, unique pieces that I love about this devotional is not only what he wrote about Advent and the scripture that he includes for uh, each day uh, of Advent, but he includes letters to his uh, fiance um, and um, um, to his parents and to friends that he wrote regarding Christmas. And it's just a, another personal look into a man who walked with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How will you, how are you celebrating Christmas? Um, and then secondly, what will help you to overcome the cultural pull of Christmas? And um, certainly what helps me um, is my journaling. Um, I mean, starting each day uh, journaling, um, sharing openly with God what I'm feeling, thinking, uh, the challenges of the day, who I'm going to meet with for the day. But it's like that journaling is a daily conscious sense of both receiving manna and acknowledging what my needs are. Um, and I, I hope you're doing that. I, I just, I mean, if you, if you hang around men's round table, uh, for very long and our, our men's coaching and all that, uh, you're going to be a journaler, um, or you're going to be guilty. And I don't want you to be guilty. I want you to be a journaler. Uh, so that's what I do. Thirdly, who do you know that is in the wilderness? Um, and again, as, uh, uh, we all are, uh, but I would just uh, especially draw attention to our dear brother, Walter Wofford. I uh, love Walter dearly. Uh, he would normally be on our Zoom uh, meeting this morning, and uh, he's been in a, in a literally a fight for his life uh, this week, still in the hospital uh, over the uh, uh, COVID-19. Um, and uh, conti uh, please continue to pray for our dear brother, uh, Walter. So, Jesus in the wilderness, the tests of Jesus. So, we begin this morning uh, with looking at our character study of Jesus, and then we want to gain uh, uh, the lessons that God would have us learn um, from his ordeal, Jesus' ordeal. Now, one of the uh, passages that we want to start with before we even uh, dig into Matthew 14, and I'll just read it off of the back of the notes, I mean Matthew 4, is Hebrews 4, verse 15. And th this is so critical. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 15 says this, We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing experienced it all, all but the sin. As a counselor, when I read that passage, I would, I would offer you two words, um, and this is what I do professionally as best as I know how. Empathy and validation. 
empathy and validation. If you write in your Bible, I would turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and um, as is in my Bible, I have empathy and validation written out by that passage. Because there is, uh, in my mind, no greater uh, tool of change um, in the context of grace than experiencing somebody understanding you, being able to put themselves in your shoes, and we call that empathy, and then at the same time, validating, which is to value and respect where you're coming from, even if it's crazy. Again, a little uh, counseling teaching here, validation is not agreeing. Well, you know, I often hear, well, how, how can I validate that when I don't agree? Well, you don't understand validation. Validation is just simply respecting and valuing what the other person's thinking. And true, there may be a time up ahead that you may need to offer your thoughts, even correct their thoughts. Um, you certainly don't want somebody to go down a, a path of, of lies um, and falsehood. But if you correct them too quickly and, and you got to get it right so you can be right and correct them without them feeling validated, then you don't get it um, and you miss um, the opportunity to really have influence and connection to that person. And I would say that that's what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 is saying to us in many ways. We have a godly model in Jesus, a priest, one that we can trust and respect, who understands he gets us, he empathizes with us, and he validates us. What you're going through, he understands. That is amazing. He is not a distant, deistic, moralistic, uninvolved God. He is involved in our lives, and he gets us. So, with that in mind, turn over to Matthew chapter 4, and let's dig in to the test of Jesus. Now, uh, as we're turning over there, I want to say this um, um, before we read the passage. One of the, one of the um, interesting pieces about Jesus is um, this comparison between Adam and Jesus. Adam uh, was the first man, um, and Jesus uh, is the second man, uh, or is more often referred to, he is the second Adam. And Satan's temptation of Jesus shows that Jesus' work as a man redeems us from the curse of sin and death. Somebody had to come and get it right because Adam got it wrong. And Adam, we're all related to. He is our great, 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 great grandfather. And we're all related to Adam. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, uh, scripture makes it clear 
that Jesus is the second Adam. And that when Jesus came, he came to get it right. So he was fully human, just as Adam was, but he was also God. But his being human uh, was an acceptable, uh, the theological word there is propitiation for our sins, that he satisfied God's standard of holiness for our sin. And yet what's interesting, which I love this, is Jesus' test in the wilderness was far greater than even Adam's. It's like not only did he accomplish what Adam failed to do, but he did it under more difficult circumstances. Now think about this. Let's do a little comparison here. All right, first of all, Adam was in paradise. He was under... He was in Eden when he failed. He was under the best of conditions. Where was Jesus? Oh, yeah, in the desert. He was in the wilderness. Adam had all of the best of things. Jesus had the wilderness. And Adam actually had companionship. He had his wife. Now, I realize some of you may say, well, that was part of Adam's problem. Uh, Not so fast. Not so fast. He had companionship. Where where was was Jesus? And what we would say is Jesus was alone. And, and, And what we often say, you know, a man alone is in bad company. He is a dangerous creature. Even, even God said in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. Jesus was alone. We would assume being um, in the garden that Adam was well fed. You know, it's interesting. When he ate that apple uh, that Eve handed him, uh, that wasn't his meal of the day. That was a snack. I wonder what Adam had for breakfast that morning, you know? Uh, he was well fed. He had it all. But you know what Jesus was doing? You know, he was fasting. Fasting. I mean, some of us have a hard time making it from lunch to dinner. That's fasting for some. It's hilarious. Uh, I've done three 40-day fasts um, in my lifetime. Uh, It's an amazing experience. Um, And uh, 40 days is a long time to go without food. That wasn't Adam's experience. And then finally, again, Adam had all the resources he needed. He He was in the Garden of Eden, and Jesus had nothing. Now, that's amazing. When you think, okay, Jesus had to do what Adam failed to do, but Jesus didn't do it even under the circumstances that Adam did. He did it in a more severe way. Wilderness, alone, deeply, deeply hungry. He had nothing. And then Satan is messing with it. So with that in mind, let's look at Matthew 4. 
So Matthew 4 says this. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. Now this, is, this is important here. How did Jesus get into the wilderness? God directed him there. It's like, really, God? You're going to take me out into the wilderness? I mean, I mean, it makes me think of uh, Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham takes Isaac out into the wilderness, and Isaac keep, uh, keeps asking, you know, where, where's the sacrifice, Daddy? And, of course, Abraham's thinking, dude, you are the sacrifice. Um, and it's like God leads, the Spirit of God leads Jesus uh, out into the desert. And guess who's waiting on him? The devil was ready to give it, to give the test. Satan was ready. And Satan... Um, knew that this game was on. This was his chance that he had to defeat Jesus right here because God had declared war on Satan back in Genesis chapter 3, and now Satan got his face-to-face -face confrontation with Jesus. I mean, it's like wanting to play, you know, the best team uh, in the county, the best team in the state, the best team in the country, and you've got your chance to win this game. And Satan was ready. Jesus prepared. Now, this is, this, this, this is kind of funny in a non-funny kind of way. Jesus prepared for the big game, if you will, prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. That doesn't seem like that's the best way to go into a confrontation with your arch enemy. You fast. You know, when I played basketball in college, I mean, one of the most favorite parts of playing basketball for me was the pregame meal. <laughs> Better yet, the postgame meal. I like to eat. And it's like you're going to prepare for the big game, if you will, by not eating anything. Hmm. So that's the preliminary. So now we get into the three tests. There was three tests. And I would offer you um, clearly what these three tests are. And Jeff can throw the notes up there on the, on the page. The first test is a physical test. The second test is an emotional or relational test. And the third test is about control or power. So let's read the passage. Physical, emotional, control. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you are God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Wow. Physical test. You're hungry, and the first test is food. Guys, I, I, I liken this test to all of our addictions. Most all, uh, everybody is addicted to something, and so many of us are addicted uh, to that which satisfies our physical pleasures. Alcohol, drugs, sex, 
food. And that was the very first test. It was a physical test. And Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. He says, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. It just feels right. Then do it was part of the temptation. And it's so important that, that we realize that the physical tests that we go through, those tests that invites us, invites us into addictions, first of all, Jesus understands. He's been there. I've, I've, uh, I, I, I sat with a um, couple this week, um, and they're struggling uh, with alcohol addiction. Um, it, it, it is a deep, deep test, and um, I don't know if they're going to get out of that addiction, but there were lots of tears, um, lots of fear, lots of anxiety about being able to overcome this test of addictive behavior, a physical challenge, a test. Secondly, for the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He set him up on top of the temple and said, since you are God's son, jump. And the devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. And that's so insidious. I mean, the devil quoting scripture. Yes, the devil knows scripture. So, you know, just because we know scripture doesn't mean that we live by it. But he quoted Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. And Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. See, here, Satan questions God's love. Does God really love you? Is he really for you? It's, it's an emotional challenge. It's a relational challenge. He's not really for you. And he appeals to lust, uh, even to shame, uh, because part of shame comes from being abandoned. And somehow, if Satan could tap into Jesus' feeling of being abandoned, then he would sell himself for a less than adequate lover, as Song of Solomon talks about. An emotional, relational test. And then finally, for the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all of the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they were. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Wow. You know, this makes me think of Michael Douglas's speech in uh, the movie Wall Street many years ago. And I mean, it was just full of greed and power. It was awful. Uh, but it was a betrayal of this very passage. Satan was offering Jesus power and control, but Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with the third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. Jesus would not yield control or power. His intimacy with God was what kept him anchored, and he would not take that uh, position of control. Once again, the opposite of control, is, as we've said many times before, is trust. And what God uh, 
invites us to do daily is to trust him every day, every day. And Jesus was being confronted by Satan to gain control, worship the evil one, and stop trusting in a greater power than even himself with God the Father. So the test was over, the devil left, and in his place, angels, angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. Wow. Now that would have been an incredible sight to see. And one day we will see that because we will be in the presence of angels, all worshiping God. Pretty powerful. Physical, emotional control. Power. Um, we're all faced with that daily. Every day, I'm faced with addictive tendencies. Every day, I'm faced with emotional, relational challenge. And every day, I'm invited to control my life uh, in an illegitimate way rather than trust, entrust my life to God. I want to show you a, a clip um, that kind of illustrates this idea of being tempted and uh, of course, you know, we all, part of the, the way we typically celebrate this Christmas season is by Christmas movies. And one of the all-time great Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. And I want to show you a clip of George Bailey, uh, played by uh, Jimmy Stewart. And George Bailey, you know, is the, is the, he's the nice guy in Bedford Falls. And uh, Mr. Potter is the evil one. He, he, he is all that represents greed power and control. And Mr. Potter has been buying up all of Bedford Falls and he owns almost everything of Bedford Falls. But George Bailey has uh, hung on to his little loan company that his dad started. And, um, you know, his uncle makes a bad mistake of trying to get $8,000 to the bank. He loses it. And guess who finds the $8,000? Mr. Potter. And now Mr. Potter, the evil Mr. Potter, knows he's got George. And he brings George into his office. Watch this, what George does with the temptation of Mr. Potter. Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? The point? The point is I want to hire you. Hire me? Yeah, I want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes, a couple of business trips to New York a year, maybe once in a while Europe. You wouldn't mind that, would you, Jones? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else around here, are you? You know, th this is me. You remember me? George Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, whose ship has just come in. Provided he has enough brains to climb aboard. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Well... How about the building and loan? Oh, confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? 
Well, Mr. Potter, I, I, I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I, I just, uh, I, I wonder if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, then in the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. Okay, Mr. Potter. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now, and the answer's no, no. Doggone it. You, you sit around here, and you spin your little webs, and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You, and that goes for you, too. for you, too! How about that, Jeff? Am I on? You're, you're good, you're good. Wow. Bravo! Bravo! Go, George! Man, I, I thought George was going to accept the contract. He shook hands with him. He almost sold his soul to the devil, to evil Mr. Potter. And then, he, and then he came to his senses, and he realized, no, I'm not going to accept that which the devil is offering me. Mr. Potter uh, is the symbol, uh, is, is, the, is the reality of all of our temptation. Now, here's the lessons that we learn from Jesus' temptations. I want to offer you five lessons here that it's so important if we're to handle our temptations the way George Bailey handled his. First of all, uh, you will be, you will be, even today. You can expect it. No one is exempt from temptation. Um, it is a dangerous, dangerous statement for any of us to say, oh, I would never do that. I can't believe he did that. I'm telling you, uh, I've heard some crazy stuff uh, sitting around our, our fire pit at uh, deer camp and as guys have shared their story. But I'm telling you, by God's grace, I will never respond to a guy and say, you know, I would never do that. In fact, more consistently, accurately would be, you know, I've done that and I've, I've, I've actually done worse. You can expect to be tested even today. Secondly, it is so important that we're ready to fight. I, I think, you, uh, uh, I, well, I know, I, I said last week, I think in so many ways we are becoming softer and softer and softer and softer. Um, and when, when we lose our will to fight, temptation, the devil, is sitting at our doorstep. Um, along with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's devotional that I'm doing right now, I'm listening to his biography written by Eric Metaxas. It is so scary 
to hear what was going on in Germany in the 1830s, 18, I mean, uh, uh, 1930s, 1933, 1934, 1935. I mean, it was like a frog being boiled in a pot, slowly turned up, and the whole nation of Germany was taken under a spell, and they were cooked like a frog in a slow pot of boiling water until they were dinner. And if we're not willing to fight for that which we believe in um, and stand up against temptation, we will be overrun. Thirdly, we have resources. We have resources. God always makes a way. He always makes a way. We respond to test, temptation with God's word. I want to uh, I want to read something to you real quickly. We're, we're about out of time, but I, but I want to read something to you. I, I didn't really intend to share this, uh, but I shared it uh, with a good friend uh, a couple days ago. It's just kind of uh, sharing openly and honestly uh, with him. And he said, are you going to share that Thursday? And I, I, hadn't, I hadn't really, I didn't write it to share it, but I, but but in a uh, an attempt just to be transparent um, that I'm no different than you, you're no different than me. I share what I wrote in my journal Tuesday morning when I got up, December the eighth. Dear Lord, I'm feeling depressed, sad, and anxious. I even have thoughts of wanting to die. I fear being sick, losing my health, and then. I have so many dreams and adventures that I want to pursue. My energy seems limitless, and I look forward to today and each day. Therefore, I have concluded I am crazy, split in every way, not to be trusted. I am a broken man. That's kind of the way I live my life. I feel the death of life in my soul every day. As Romans chapter 8 says, even the rocks cry out for the return of Jesus. I feel that every day. So much so that there's a part of me, I just, I just want to die. I want to be with Jesus. And then at the same time, I'm so afraid I'm going to get left out of something that you guys are going to do something that you don't include me and I, and I miss out. You know, there's so much I want to do and so much I want to be a part of and so many people that I want to help and be a part of their lives. And I conclude with Psalm 31, 13 through 16, that says in, in, a, in a phrase, my times are in your hands. And then Colossians chapter 2, I ended that morning with the idea of mystery, that the mystery of life, the mystery of Jesus, that somehow he would choose me and allow me to walk with him and allow me the freedom that I have in my life. It's a mystery. I don't understand why me. It's a mystery. So the last two points here is, first of all, in terms of lessons, along with resources that we have, is power. We've got to resist the devil and the power of the Spirit, as Jesus did, not in our own power, not in willpower, uh, but in a power that God gives us way beyond our own. That power is available every day. I, uh, the, the couple that I was telling you about that I sat with um, 
um, that's struggling with alcohol addiction. He scared me to death when I asked him, how do you think you're going to get sober? And he said, I'm going to will myself to get sober. I'm, I'm willfully going to not drink. And I said, dude, that scares me to death. I said, I'm glad that you don't want to drink. That's the first step. But if you think that you're going to be able to not drink because of your willpower, it's not going to work. And then I asked him this. I said, have you ever tried that before? He said, yeah, I've done that. I said, how long did you last? He said, one time over the last 12 years, I lasted for a year. Wow, that's pretty good willpower. But the point is, it didn't work. Because AA, the Bible, Jesus, we all understand that it is a power beyond our own that makes life work. I need to trust, not control. Power that God gives, not willpower, changes our life. And then finally, what we learn from Jesus is that intimacy, knowing and being known by the Father, that allows us to pursue him, knowing that he's pursuing us, is how we overcome temptation. So the lessons you will be tested. We've got to be ready to fight every day. There's always resources. God makes a way. There's power beyond our own. And that power is found in intimacy with God. And then I've included a couple of things there uh, on your handout uh, in terms of how temptation and tests work out of the book of James. Uh, and I didn't uh, make you fill in the blanks there because I thought I would be right where I thought I am right now running out of time. So those are resources uh, that you can look at. Guys, um, we are in the wilderness, but there is nothing that we are going through that Jesus has not experienced empathically and with great understanding that we're going through. May you draw from that resource in this Christmas season, and may you celebrate uh, the reason for the season as you cling to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the gift of this time. Thank you for my brothers. And we pray especially for Walter Wofford this morning. Continue to bring healing to him. Comfort uh, Laura and all the family. We love you. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.